Creepy is proud to be a part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. This podcast and the 31 Days of Horror is made possible thanks to our patrons. So please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons Fly McSly, Fish Princess, Fed to Oblivion, Shannon Hastings, Amanda Harris, Francis Cadman, Marivel Arvizo, and Nick Ware. Our patrons make this show possible. That's why for all of October 2019, new patrons at the $5 and above level get, in addition to their regular rewards, a limited edition creepy podcast refrigerator magnet. If you'd like to see how you can support this podcast and get rewards on top of rewards for doing so, please check out our reward tiers at patreon.com slash creepypod. Now... This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy presents The 31 Days of Horror, Day 26, Spasms, written by MP Real Invective. I spent weeks monitoring Joe Cowart at Walter Reed Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. It was one of the more interesting cases. As a budding intern, I had an almost morbid fascination with macabre cases. Patients with third-degree burns over most of their body, people with genetic abnormalities that turn them into ghoulish grotesqueries like thalidomide deformities or fetal alcohol syndrome. The most interesting case was Joseph Cowart. Joe Cowart had the unfortunate fate of falling victim to the cosmic joke that we know as the Gulf War. He was on patrol when he triggered a bouncing petty otherwise known as an S-mine. This mine, instead of exploding from the ground up, pops three or four feet out of the ground and then detonates. This inflicts massive injuries and shrapnel wounds to the torso and appendages. It was not created to kill. It was manufactured to maim. It maimed Joe Cowart. Although the true mercy would have been if the mine had killed him. Before Joe Cowart had been brought to the hospital, he'd suffered severe trauma to his arms and legs. As a result of the concussive blast, he lost both arms from the bicep down and his right leg up to his trunk. Perhaps the worst result of the S-mine was a shrapnel that sliced in between two of his cervical vertebrae and rendered him paraplegic and brain dead. The comatose body of Joe Cowart spent his days in a hospital bed, slowly atrophying while machines kept him ventilated. Intravenous tubes supplied him with the essential nutrients to survive, and the catheter assisted in removing his waste. His eyelids had been taped closed to prevent them from drying out. Medicine has advanced so far that a person could be kept alive in a vegetative state for years, maybe even decades. Joe had been in this condition for over two decades, and with medical innovations, it was quite possible that he'd live another couple of decades, if you could call it living. Every once in a while, the attending doctor would take first-year interns on a tour of the facility. He'd always stop in Cowart's room. It was on my tour that I first saw Joe. As I stood in that room, trying to be as deferent as possible to the man's condition, 
doctor drew a needle and asked all of us a simple question. What's the difference between this man and a vegetable in the cafeteria? He didn't wait long enough for any of us to give an answer. He jabbed the needle into Joe Cowart's big toe and I winced as a 16-gauge needle sank half an inch into his flesh. The comatose man didn't wince, cry out in pain, or give any indication that he felt the jab. The attending doctor put on a wry smile and said in a mock conspiratorial tone, I won't get in trouble for eating the vegetable in the cafeteria. The sudden black humor caught me off guard and I laughed. I was one of the few who did, and I think that was what got me in the good graces of the attending physician, Dr. Bird. He said, It is impossible for this individual to experience sensations like pain or pleasure, happiness or sadness. He is as unfeeling and unthinking as the dead. For all intents and purposes, he's been robbed of what makes a person a person. The only reason he is being sustained is that the military is determined to say, We care for our soldiers. Whether that's true or not really has no impact on the care we are providing to him. Later, when I asked Dr. Bird about Joe Colbert's family, he told me that they visited for the first few years, hoping against hope that they could find some sort of acceptance in his condition. They never came to terms with it, and slowly the visits started getting further and further apart. The last time they visited, they'd signed a consent form so that their son could give one last thing in an already long list of things he already sacrificed. The waiver allowed interns to practice minor medical procedures on him. I would go in that room whenever I had free time. I used to sit by his bed with my lunch and listen to the slow cadence of the electrocardiogram, the rising and falling of the respirator, and seclude myself from the hustle and bustle of the hospital. I credit Joe Coward as the reason I made through that first hellish year of interning at Walter Reed Hospital. The hours were rough and they paid me minimum wage. I would have fallen behind in my techniques if it weren't for Colwert. I used my downtime at the hospital practicing my medical skills. I gave him sutures and stitches. I drew blood from his femoral artery and practiced inserting IVs. Practicing on Joe Colwert increased my confidence and proficiency. I'd frequently take my lunch into his room, seeking a moment of peace and quiet. It was while eating my sandwich that I first witnessed one of his seizures. I'd been halfway through my sandwich one late afternoon when Joe Colwert started convulsing. To be perfectly honest, it scared the shit out of me. The only way I can describe how it felt would be this. Imagine yourself attending a funeral when suddenly the corpse sits up from the casket and starts twitching and shaking. I watched the writhing man with my mouth agape. I sat there for a few seconds, too stunned to do anything, before my training kicked in and I hit the nurse call button. I set to performing the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation, as I waited for assistance. His airway was unobstructed, the respirator seemed properly attached, and there were no kinks in the line, and while his skin was pallid, I managed to find a pulse using his femoral artery. The ECG also confirmed that there was no arrhythmia. Some more senior doctors arrived, and we managed to get him stabilized. We spent the next couple of days trying to figure out what had caused the seizures. Apparently, it wasn't the first time he'd gone into convulsions. A few years before I began my internship at Walter Reed, he began seizing up on a nurse who was doing a blood panel on him. Test proving conclusive, and as the episodes hadn't happened again, until now, it was chalked up as a freak occurrence. 
We scoured our brains trying to find out what was causing the seizures. We thought it was nutritional issues at first. Blood glucose tests showed that he was within normal ranges. Next, we ran a CAT scan to see if maybe the concussive blast inflicted so long ago may have had any extremely late-stage effects. The scan showed no bleeds or any type of infection that might cause seizures. We checked for deep vein thrombosis. Could he have formed a clot that had shifted loose when I practiced a blood draw on his femoral artery? An embolism could have triggered the seizures. Had I caused it? The test indicated there was no thrombosis or embolisms. At a glance, besides being a paraplegic, brain-dead, multiple amputee, Joe Cohort didn't have any condition that could have resulted in a seizure. Why was he still convulsing? The seizures by now had increased in frequency. Every few days he'd go into convulsions that lasted a few minutes before stopping. During these episodes, he would writhe on the bed as if being electrocuted. His one remaining limb would thrash about as if it were a marionette with tangled strings that were being jiggled up and down. His foot would lash out and bang against the bedstand. We were afraid to restrain him as he could break his leg in one of his spasms and the hospital regulations prevented a restraint being left on for more than 24 hours. The convulsion soon started occurring every day. It got so frequent that we even had a code on our system. Code cohort. Interns had started going at first out of curiosity. It became a bit of a competition amongst us. Whoever could solve the medical mystery behind cohort's convulsions would be the best of the group. We'd all sprint towards Joe's room with every code, but eventually interest flagged and most interns moved on to more interesting cases. Until eventually it was only me. I was consumed. I stayed awake at night, looking up possible, extremely rare genetic causes for seizures. I pored over medical tests, looking for rare conditions. I found nothing. It took a week of sleepless nights before one last possibility finally dawned on me. I spent the rest of the night reading up on Dr. Edward Taub's neuroplasticity theory. I had to make sure. I went into work the next day and spent the majority of the day waiting in Joe Cohort's room. I didn't want to be right. I'd managed to pull night shift and it was a quiet night, which afforded me plenty of time to monitor Joe Cohort's condition. At around 2.30 that night, he started to spasm. I quickly shut the curtain and disconnected the ECG. I couldn't let anyone interrupt us. I was going to let him convulse. He writhed and shook on the bed like he was being electrocuted. I watched him carefully for any indication or sign. His one remaining foot lashed out and banged against the metal bedstand. His teeth were gritted and a small dribble of blood spilled from the corner of his mouth. I was too busy writing down my observations to treat him. I finally knew what was wrong and what the seizures were. They found me writing in my notes. Joe Cord had bitten off a portion of his tongue and blood was burbling from his mouth. They managed to elevate him and compress the wound before he could drown in his own blood. They claimed sleep deprivation had impacted my judgment. That did nothing to lessen the sentence. I was barred from the hospital and my medical license was revoked under claims of malpractice and negligence. None of that matters, though. What matters now is getting the word out. They need to euthanize 
Jill Cowart. Those weren't seizures or spasms. They were completely voluntary. I know you don't believe me. His family didn't believe me either. They had a restraining order taken out against me. They didn't want to accept the horrible truth. He is alive and cognizant. How long has he been in that state? I can't know for sure. With neuroplasticity, he'd regained a bit of control on his leg, but the rest of his body is paralyzed. Apparently, the small regeneration was not enough for fine motor skills, but was sufficient for him to try and send out a message. Joe Cowart wasn't having seizures. They were his message. He banged his leg against the table in a certain pattern, repeating over and over again. This was the pattern. The periods are indicative of quick taps while dashes signify a harder strike. Dot, 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 dot. Dot. Dot, dash, dot, dot. Dot, dash, dash, dot. Don't you get it? He's been like that for months, trapped in his own body. Barely able to exert enough control to convey a message in Morse code spelling out the word help. Oh, God. Endlessly tapping out that same message. Trying to get someone, anyone's attention. He is trapped inside the shell of his body, begging someone to kill him, but no one will listen. They won't allow me back on hospital grounds. They say that I've cracked under the pressure, but that isn't true. They say the head scans show no indication of higher brain function. It's inhumane what they're doing. He can only just lie there, kept alive by tubes and respirators. No one to communicate with except himself. Screaming silently for death. But no one can hear him, or has their eyes open enough to see his torment. The doctors think they understand his condition, but they're completely misguided. The army thinks they're taking care of one of their own by paying his medical bills, but they're only perpetuating his hell. He needs to be put out of his suffering. I was the worst offender. Poking, prodding, piercing him with needle drivers, all in an attempt to better myself. Oh, God. The agony he must have felt under my administrations. A blurb of lyrics from a song has been caught in my head for the last few days. As I write all this down, it repeats over and over. It's maddening. Like autumn leaves, his senses fell from him. An empty glass of himself shattered somewhere within. His thoughts like a hundred moths trapped in a lampshade somewhere within. Their wings banging and burning. On through endless nights. Forever awake he lies shaking and starving. Praying for someone to turn off the light. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm so sorry. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or email us at creepypod at gmail.com. 
All stories told on this podcast can be found at creepypastawikia.com and are protected by a Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved unless otherwise stated. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust (laughs) The only thing I could hear was 7219 (laughs) Laughing Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.